0: Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God.
1: Thanks, Jan. Good evening, friends. Uh, Well, please do keep that Bible passage open there in front of you. And uh, we're going to be doing some Q&A a a little later on after uh, this time. So um, on the front of your leaflet, you'll notice a little mobile phone number if you want to SMS your questions in. We'd um, love to hear from you as we really want to be wrestling with what God's got to say to us through this passage. How about we pray as we dive in together? Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we've just sung and celebrated that there's no other name through whom we are redeemed. No other name that can save but Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we want to pray now that you would implant your word deep in us today so that we can make him our soul's delight and to see that he is the hope for this world in darkness. And we pray it all in his mighty name. Amen. Now friends, I want to begin um, by introducing to you, maybe for some of you for the first time I don't know, um, a great Australian of the last century. His picture is on the screen behind me, a gentleman by the name of Fred Hollows. Fred Hollows is a great Australian. He was an outstanding humanitarian. Um, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor who had an incredible passion for Indigenous health. Um, During his career, uh, he actually, in the work that he did throughout remote areas of Australia, halved the number of Indigenous Australians living with blindness. Uh, His work wasn't just in Australia though, he did extensive work throughout Africa and Southeast Asia, bringing sight giving treatment to some of the world's poorest people and in fact in the months before he died in 1993 uh, he established the Fred Hollows Foundation which continues today um, uh, doing some amazing work around the world and amongst the blind of the world. You see Fred Hollows he recognised just how significant, just how debilitating blindness is. And one of his mantras, one of his sort of really quotable quotes is that what he was doing was giving people independence as he gave them their sight because he recognised that blindness strips people of so much freedom, it leaves them open to being vulnerable, to being misled, abused, oppressed. Uh, Our sight is such a precious way for us to take in the beauty of this world but also to avoid... Its pitfalls, and I think if you close your eyes with me now it really doesn't take much imagination to think back over your last week or even just today and to reflect on how much impact it would have if you cannot see. You see, Fred Hollows was not a Christian but he is a great example of someone who understands just how precious the gift of sight is and an example of someone who works so passionately to offer it to other people. And I'll begin with him as, as an example because as we come to the second half of Luke chapter 18, I think Luke wants us to see something and I'm going I'm to work with that pun all night and if you're, if you're drifting off, you're getting bored, you can just start a tally of how many times I play with that pun because Luke wants us to see something very important. On the leaflet you got there, three points. The plain truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The power that Jesus has to give sight and I think Luke also wants us to see the very precious gift of seeing Jesus and through him being able to see our world and ourselves and God Himself as He is. So let's jump in together. From verse 31, Luke reminds us that we are travelling with, Jer- with Jesus on His way to Jerusalem. And we need to see that Jesus knew exactly what lay ahead of Him, He took the 12 aside. And he told them some really important things. First, he said, as you read there, everything written about the Son of Man will be fulfilled, which is a helpful way of Jesus highlighting that, well, he knew exactly what was coming. Secondly, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And that's easy to say, but it's actually quite shocking and hard to comprehend if you're a Jewish person in the first century. Because the Scriptures describe the Son of Man as the person who was given the very authority of God, ruling over all of creation. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 7, for example. And yet Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. And what will they do? Well, that's the third really important thing. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Hardly a picture of great authority and power. Actually, in any other context, this would be a picture of absolute defeat. And yet, right from the start of his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus had made it clear to his disciples that he knew what was coming. He wasn't walking into a trap, he wasn't stumbling into an accident. This was his goal. It was his deliberate submission that he would be willingly handed over, taking on the rejection of humanity. And then in this quickfire statement, the fourth really thing, a really important thing that Jesus told his disciples, it's right there in verse 33, that on the third day he will rise again. He's very plain about it. And actually, I think it's good for us to be honest that to speak plainly about something so impossible as rising from the dead kind of raises the question of whether Jesus was a little unhinged. He'd he'd lost grip of reality, perhaps. Unless, of course, he actually could rise from the dead, which would actually only make sense if he did rise from the dead. He spoke so plainly about it that he was either insane or he was right. And that, in this simple summary, it's really helpful for us to see the plain truth about who Jesus is and and what he did. Because there are all sorts of perspectives about who Jesus is, aren't there? I mean, there are plenty of people that will acknowledge that he was a great teacher of love and compassion. There are many people who will recognise him as a great prophet, um, calling people to, to repentance and to obey God. And nearly everyone will acknowledge that he acted with amazing kindness, especially to those people kind of on the margins of society. But over all of that, this is how Jesus described himself and his mission. To willingly take upon himself the rejection of humanity, to die and to rise again from the dead. Whatever you think of Jesus, you must see that this is how he described himself and his mission. And if you're here tonight and you kind of think, gee, that's just a little bit, that's a bit too much. It's a bit too hard to swallow. It just doesn't fit with the way the world works well it's good to know that you're in good company right did you notice in verse 34 that we read that his disciples the those that were closest to Jesus they did not understand any of this its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about now I take it that it's not that all of a sudden Jesus was speaking in a strange language or the words didn't make sense I think it's that the ideas just didn't fit with what they thought should happen didn't fit with what they hoped for Jesus, and it certainly didn't fit with what they expected of the Son of Man, of God's anointed King. On their own, the disciples simply couldn't see how all of this fit together. And I think with that in mind, Luke shares with us a story of what follows to show us the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus without which his disciples were left in the dark. So we continue on in verse 35... Luke tells us that Jesus was approaching Jericho. Now Jericho is the last major city en route to Jerusalem and and as Jesus approached Jericho a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and when he heard the crowd going by he asked what was happening and they told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Just pause there. Did you notice how the crowd saw Jesus? He's Jesus of Nazareth. But look at the wonderful irony in the way that the blind man sees Jesus far more clearly than any of them. Verse 38, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls Jesus son of David. The Jewish people were longing for a descendant of great King David. We read from King David, Psalm 51. Well, God had promised that a son of David would come and do even greater things than his ancestor God's people were longing for God's Messiah, his king, who he would send to rescue his people and and restore justice and peace to the world. And it's this blind man who sees that Jesus is more than just an itinerant teacher or prophet from Nazareth. He is God's Messiah. But even more than that, look at what he asks for. Have mercy on me. Now, if this blind man was like so many of his countrymen, he would have expected the Messiah to come in and, and, and boot out the Romans and, and restore security and prosperity to the nation of Israel. So it would have made much more sense for him to have said something like, you know, have mercy on us or, or have mercy on your people. But here this man cries out, have mercy on me. Blind though he was, he sees his own personal need for mercy and then did you see the contrasting kind of reactions to his cry for help in verse 39 the crowd rebuke him if they were Aussies they would have just said shut up as if you're important enough for Jesus to bother about but then Jesus responds in verse 40 bring him near Jesus says and he speaks to this man that everyone else just wanted to pass by as if to say I see you and what do you want me to do Verse 41, Lord, I want to see. I mean, I kind of think, well, yeah, of course, what a perfectly natural thing for a blind man to ask, right? He can't see, and that one fact so so massively impacts on his whole life, just a perfectly natural thing to ask. And yet, on the other hand, what a ridiculous thing for a blind man to ask. Because no one could heal the blind, Surely it would make more sense to ask for something a little bit more realistic like ask this important man Jesus for a generous cash donation or at least, let's just keep it simple, ask him for the directions to the nearest charitable organisation but don't ask for the impossible. And yet this blind man knew the power of Jesus. We, we don't know how he knew, but perhaps it was just by reputation from what he'd heard about Jesus. Because it is the kind of power that the Gospel accounts describe Jesus demonstrating again and again. Giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, enabling the lame to walk, feeding 5,000 hungry men from a kid's lunchbox, calming a storm, walking on water, raising the dead. These, these were just the miraculous powers of Jesus. But I know that there are lots of people, and you might be among them, lots of people who are sceptical of Jesus' miracles. I think we can be tempted to dismiss them as kind of fanciful, as if we're reading a fairy tale. Except that when we actually read the Gospel accounts, we see that they don't have any sense of kind of fanfare or fantasy or embellishment. They just tell it like it is. It's just what Jesus did is if he could actually walk down the main road into Jericho and, and give sight to a blind man. Because that's, that's what he could do. And I think one of the dangers for us with a, a 21st century scientific mindset is that we can kind of think, well, we know that that sort of thing doesn't just happen. And, and I think we can look down on those people living in the first century and presume that they were so gullible that they could be convinced that Jesus could do these impossible things. I think that's actually just the arrogance of our age. They knew that it was impossible to raise the dead or to give sight to the blind. And rather than just dismiss these miracles out of a hand because, well, those things don't happen, perhaps we should look at them in the way that Luke and the other Gospel writers intended, that they would be signs, signs pointing to help us to see that there is, there is more than meets the eye going on. And so we come to our final point, Because Luke wants us to see the kind of precious gift that this sight really is. You see, right from the start of his Gospel, Luke has emphasised that people need to see Jesus and that when we see him truly as he is, not the way that we want him to be, but how he is, when we see Jesus truly, well actually that sheds a whole light onto life and ourselves and God himself. And I want, I, want to, I want to show you how this kind of tracks through Luke's gospel. So come with me on this. If we jump right back to Luke's, Luke chapter 1, we meet a man called John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for Jesus. And I've got it on the screen behind us from Luke chapter 1. Have a look at how John's ministry was described. You, John, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. So John the Baptist is to prepare the way for Jesus. And did you see how Jesus is described? Bringing forgiveness from sin and like the rising sun, shining on those living in darkness. Well, a couple of chapters later, when Jesus comes onto the scene in Luke chapter four, we see Jesus preaching a sermon in Nazareth his hometown again on the screen for us this is what happened Jesus stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, to be clear, when Isaiah wrote that, he's not talking about all sorts of different categories of different people, as if there are, you know, there's poor people and prisoners and blind people and the oppressed. He's given this whole kaleidoscope of images to describe our human condition, stuck in our sin, cut off from a relationship with God. And so then look at how Jesus began his sermon from verse 20 of chapter 4, well, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, this is what he came to do, to fulfill this prophecy, to give sight to the blind, but not just physical sight to those who are physically blind. He did do that, but it pointed beyond the physical to something much deeper. Jesus came to give spiritual sight to those stuck in the darkness of their sin. Now, if you've been with us over the recent months as we've worked through Luke's gospel, you'll see that he actually references Isaiah the prophet a bunch of times to help us to see, to understand who Jesus is. Well, with that in mind, I want to take us a couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah from where Jesus preached from from Isaiah 59, and you'll see how the imagery is really helpful for us to reflect on what we're reading in chapter 18 of Luke. See, Isaiah 59, verse 1, it reads on the screen, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear You see Isaiah points out that our issue is not that God cannot save but that we continue in sin and as he builds up this idea just half a paragraph later look at how Isaiah describes our human condition from verse 9. We look for light but all is darkness for brightness but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people with our eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. Friends, I want you to feel the weight of this description of the human condition apart from Jesus this description of spiritual blindness. I mentioned to you Fred Hollows earlier on because he recognised the disaster of physical blindness. Well, here the prophet Isaiah helps us to feel the weight of the disaster of spiritual blindness. We look for light, but all is darkness. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. The blind man of Jericho recognised that Jesus was far more than just a teacher from Nazareth. He he was the son of David, God's king, the Messiah who'd come to save his people from their sin and he begged Jesus to enable him to see. And I think Luke is helping us to realise that there's more than just his physical sight going on here. I mean Luke has just told us that the plain truth of Jesus was hidden from the disciples but now a blind man sees him. And in next Sunday's passage, Luke introduces us to another man who wants to see, Zacchaeus, the short man. And when he sees Jesus, his life is turned upside down. And then by the time we get to the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, after Jesus is risen from the dead, he meets with his disciples, he opens the scriptures with them and figuratively speaking, finally, their eyes are opened too. And they see Jesus as he really is. You see, friends, through Luke's gospel, God is teaching us something very profound that we've got to get our heads around. Our world is full of blind people. Your neighbours are blind, they are left groping along the wall, feeling their way like people without eyes. Your classmates, your colleagues, they are blind. At midday, they stumble as if it were twilight. Your friends are blind. They look for brightness, but they walk in deep shadows. Our world is full of blind people, and our hearts should burn with compassion, longing for Jesus to give them the precious gift of sight. But I get that starts to sound just a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? As if, you know, we've got it, we've arrived. Let me be really clear here there is no cause for pride here there's no sense of looking down on others with a sort of a a smug sense of pity because if you see Jesus and through him if you see this world and yourself as it really is, is that is only because God has given you something that you could never earn or grasp or attain yourself what is impossible for us to see in the darkness he has given us by the gift of his grace in his power And I actually think it's really easy to forget how precious that gift of sight is. If you see God as he is, he's overwhelmingly holy but full of grace and mercy, so far above us and yet loving you as a child. If that is how you see God, it is only because Jesus has opened your eyes by his grace. I think we forget how precious it is to see the world as it is in Christ. To see that it is wonderfully made yet horribly burdened by the impact of sin. To see that it's longing for freedom and and grabbing at it in any which way it can and yet totally dependent on the grace of God to make it new. And I think we forget how precious the gift of sight Jesus gives us to see ourselves as we are in Christ. That you are so loved by God that he sent his son to die for you to bring you home. Friends, if you know Jesus, never forget how precious it is to see... That you don't need to prove yourself, or define yourself, or find yourself. Never forget how precious it is to see that you have been given a a wonderful part to play in the work of God in his world. I'm sure you all know the, the words of that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How precious is the gift of sight we receive in Jesus. It's amazing grace. Now, friends, as, as you're reflecting on this, I hope your hearts are so grouped by it that in some ways we don't need to talk through how this applies to life because on one level, I think it's all been spelled out for us here. For starters, don't be like the crowd who told the blind man to shut up who wanted to walk on by with him, with, uh, past him with Jesus and kind of paid him no regard. No, the contrast is obvious that having experienced the gift of sight would be like that blind man who was just overflowing in praise, wanting to tell other people what what a precious thing he'd been given. But I also think there's a deep humility in knowing that you are blind and longing to see. It's a humility that this blind man in Luke 18, he just oozes as he cries out for mercy, as he humbly trusts Jesus' ability to to give him the impossible. And friends, if you are longing to see, if you're here tonight and you're still wrestling with who Jesus is and, and in your heart you long to see him as he really is, then cry out, Lord, I want to see Because God will open your eyes if you look to the Son through his word. That is his promise. And in case we might think this is some kind of one-time offer, you know, only at that moment of conversion, well, I want to share with you a wonderful picture of humility in in the great apostle Paul, that that theological giant who wrote the book of Romans. We, we, We read from it briefly earlier on. Paul could also say this in Philippians 3, on the screen behind me. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And you're like, yeah, right, yeah, Paul knew him. And yet what does he go on to say? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That is the humility of someone who has seen Jesus and having been given the precious gift of sight, he longs to see him even more. You will never arrive. You will never exhaust the beauty of seeing Jesus. And if only we would all long for that too. I want to long for it that when I'm faced with the trials, the hardships, the hard times in life, I don't just ask for the suffering to be taken away, but that I ask to see, to see Jesus in the midst of it all and actually to see through Jesus these circumstances that they really are. And what about when we're faced with the joys of life, the good times, the, the up days, that we wouldn't just say thanks to God and return to playing with our new toys, but that we would ask to see Jesus that we'd ask to see him over and above and through it all. And when we struggle with the sins of life, that we wouldn't want to just slink away into a dark corner in our shame, that we wouldn't want to just sweep them under a carpet, but that we would long to see Jesus. Lord, I want to see To see Jesus in his loving mercy to forgive us and his mighty power to change us. Because that's the truly precious gift of sight. The gift of those who used to live in the shadow of death but now delight in knowing Jesus and knowing him more. And friends, as I've been prepping this sermon and thinking over this, I've had a a song on pretty high repeats by City of Light. It's a great song. I want to know you. And I'm just going to finish our time by turning that into a prayer. So will you pray with me? Lord our God, I've tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, your word has said, is ever only Jesus. Lord Jesus, You died, you live, you reign, you plead. There's love in all your words and deeds. This weary heart finds all it needs in ever only Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus my Lord, King of the heavens, King of my soul. I trade my treasures and all my rewards, Jesus, to know you, then know you more. I want to know you, Lord, Jesus, to know you then know you more. Amen.